tell me about the service, and then tell me about the outcomes. Most providers do not get questioned about the efficacy of the service they're providing. That is one of the big things that we as agency workers and even our families do not ask about. Are you good at doing what you're selling? Hi, friends. There was so much information that we wanted to give you that we're going to give you a part two. So here you go. Part two with Natalie Elliott Handy. Thanks for listening. Natalie, let's go ahead and jump into part two. Uh, There's just so much to share with our audience. And I thank you. Thank you for your time and your expertise. Yeah, no, I'm excited. During our last conversation, we had talked about how to work with your insurance company. And I went into a little bit further conversation around also thinking about working with both your health insurance agency, whether you're commercial or your Medicaid or whatever your insurance may be, and speaking with your care coordinator. But also, you could reach out to look for alternative funding sources, like from agencies such as child welfare agencies, courts, mental health, schools, um, and then also looking at what your employer offers, like EAP. So then we thought, there's more to talk about. And I love that. And so in coming back on in this part two, I want to talk with folks more about, okay, so you've decided to go to an agency. So we're going to talk about the human service system. That's really kind of what we talk about. Human health and human services is what we call it on a federal level, but each state has their own health and human services. And so what I really want to talk about today is, is quick down and dirty version in in 15 to 20 minutes so that you'll know enough to get you exactly where you need to be. So this is where I would start. So I'm going to start with intake and referral. And, And so when I say intake and referral, so let's say you have spoken with either your care coordinator or you have decided to reach out to an agency. We'll use social services, for example, or whatever your state's child welfare agency is called. Okay, that you will always do an intake and referral assessment. And basically, they're going to ask you a ton of questions. They're going to ask you a lot of questions about your family, about your past history, about what the presenting problem is. So you brought your child forward and you're going to have to, I would encourage people to give as much information as they can. An intake and referral session can take an hour, hour and a half. And I would encourage you to be as truthful and honest as possible. You know, I do this training with private providers and with agency staff. And one of the common complaints that I hear, Jess, is that they don't feel like they get all the information from the families. And I said, you know, hey, there may be a reason. It could be generational issues where there's past experiences that really inhibit trust. And there could also be reasons that they may have had a bad experience from another provider and they don't feel or an agency and they and they are a little uncertain or they there's a judgment piece to it. And so I think that's the most important thing is that we're trained as as agency staff and providers to put all the judgment aside. There's no room for judgment. You're here for service. It that is the first step and and that takes a lot of courage. And so 
tell as much as you can, because that helps us as an agency to identify one, what services do we think might be helpful to you as a family? What's the service that pulls that lever to really provide some relief and impact for you? The other piece would be the more that you tell us, it may open up alternative funding opportunities, funding streams or payer sources that we could say, oh, I know about this funder. I think that could actually be a service that you could receive because this funder pays for it, even though your primary insurance does not. We typically in those intake and referrals, will talk about what's going on in the home, what's going on in the school setting, and what's going on in the community setting, and is there any legal involvement? There's very specific reasons that we ask those questions because there are a lot of funders out there that when you put combined certain problem areas together, we can have access to those funds. That's what you're looking for. It also helps us to know where the problems are and what do we want to start with first. So that is a really important and And I want to clarify when I say, what do we want to start with first? We means our conversation with you, the family, making that decision, because it's very important that you say, hey, we think this is the most critical area that we need addressed, because otherwise um, the, the agency or the provider will say, oh, well, this sounds like the most important. And you may say, that's not the most important. I need this resolved here quicker than that. And I think it's really Uh, allows you to get on the same page. So when you go after you have that initial meeting, hour, hour and a half, the agency worker is going to come back and they're going to think, okay, what services do I think are going to be most impactful based on the conversation? That's why that intake is so important because service decisions or recommendations actually are are determined at that point. And so they're going to look at all kinds of factors. They're going to look at your availability. They're going to look at who's in the home. They know which services would work well for you. And so they're going to look at that. And I think that's going to be really important. Some services are based on evidence-based models and some services are not. That does not mean that they are not equally good. It's just we really try to pair up the service to meet the needs of the individual and the family, okay? So we don't want to force fit people into a certain service if it doesn't make sense. That's really important. And so I would also encourage you at the same time, because I would say during that intake and referral, That worker, as you're talking to them, will say, well, I'm thinking about this, but I need to look into it. Or I'm thinking about this type of service. Jot those services down. I'm, I'm telling you from personal experience, my husband has had complex health issues. He had cancer last year. My mom has Parkinson's. Anytime I go as a caregiver or the person for that person, (laughs) I am their person. um, I always have pen and paper. I'm always jotting down notes. I would encourage listeners to do research on your own, jot down any services that they make reference to so that you have a better understanding of what that service is intended to do. That's very important. And I can tell you just one example from last year is when my husband was diagnosed, Jess, we went with what the doctors told us. We just we just went with what they went with. And as we started down that process, 
we quickly realized uh, my aunt had said something and said, Natalie, have you ever heard of proton therapy instead of photon therapy? It's newer, but it has less side effects. I went and approached my doctor with that and their response <laughs> to my comment, my questions was a little disappointing to me. It wasn't as what I expected it to be. And we decided at that point to get a second opinion. They could have went a completely different direction and that would have made me even more confident in their service recommendation. But because I had done that research beforehand, which I know your listeners are probably really researching mamas mostly, also the dads, um, I think it's so important to say, I'm going to jot down these services and I'm also going to look, Okay because it helps you to make informed decisions on behalf of your loved one. And so when you get, that's the service piece of it, okay? So when you get to the next step, your providers, and so I'm saying you've got intake and referral, you then have the service identification that your worker is typically doing, okay? They're gonna come back to you, and this is, as this is kind of step three in my mind the family commitment. So they're going to try to talk to you about, this is the service I'm recommending. So we'll just use intensive in-home services, for example. Jessica, I think intensive in-home service would be great service for you. And you're going to say, tell me more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, or why? Because they should be able to explain the service to you and why they think it's going to be impactful to the person that's identified, whether it's your child, it's another loved one, or an and how it's going to impact the family. I would strongly encourage you to ask about the outcomes of that service. What are the outcomes like? What is my responsibility? Does it happen on the weekends? What about when I need to do family night? When are my children going to eat? When am I going to put them to bed? When are we going to do things together? Because the reality is, is the moment you add services into your life, it's like having a doctor's appointment every week. So if you're not used to having standing appointments with professionals that are an hour to two hours, and, and when you do like intensive in-home services, it's two to three times a week. It's typically, think about it, if you're having it for your child, it's after school and weekends. And you really need to think about, ask lots of questions about what's the requirement of the service? What do I need to be available to do? And so I think that's really, really important because if it doesn't match up with your life and understand, you're going to have to make some adjustments. When you come in to want services, that's fine. But we also know if, especially if you're working, especially if you're working, you can't lose your job. <laughs> you can't, most people are like, I can't not work to take my child to services. And, and as service providers, we really want to help. And sometimes we offer a lot of services. And when you put them down on an agenda or a, a calendar, you may say, I'm not sure when I'm sleeping today. <laughs> and so I think that's really important. So that family buy-in is so important um, and understanding what the barriers are. I can't stress enough for folks to say, I can't do this. This is a hard no for me. Does that make you non-compliant? No, it makes you human and it makes it so that especially a lot of our families have other children and they're trying to also accommodate to their schedules because the last thing you want to do is is really disrupt. This is disruptive enough. You have somebody coming into your home that you're not used to. 
And so if you can do minimal kinds of disruption, that's ideal. And so I think then once you have buy-in, this is really important to know, is that that doesn't mean that that your funding will automatically be there. And so any good any good agency worker and or provider are going to say this is what we'd like to recommend, but we're going to have to get it approved. That may be from your commercial insurance, that may be from a separate funder. There's a lot of requirements and I'm going to get into funding here in just a second. But just understand it's not a done deal when they bring it to you. It is just a recommendation that they'd like to push forward with you and then identify the next couple of steps. Okay. So after I get that family buy-in, I think that the next step would be selecting a vendor. So especially if I'm an agency worker and I'm I've done this intake, I have looked, I found the service, I think it works well. You and I agree, Jessica. The next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna find a vendor. And so the, the questions that, you know, and when I say vendor, this is going to be a service provider. It, and even if you s- jumped ahead and you didn't have contact with an agency and just went to the service provider, these questions matter. You should ask them as much as an agency worker w- would. And that is, tell me about, you know, I'm interested in this service. I have a, a you know, my child is in need of service. My, I was either recommended by my care coordinator for my insurance or an agency worker has referred me. Tell me about the service. And then the second question is, tell me about the outcomes. Most providers do not get questioned about the efficacy of the service they're providing. And so I think that is one of the big things that we as agencies, as, as agency workers, and even our families do not ask about how does, how are you good at doing what you're selling? Okay. And so when you're doing that, then you're saying, okay, great. You know, the outcome is 90% of, of people who actively participate and do exactly what they need. Fantastic. I love that. Okay. So the next question that you'll want to ask is, tell me about the individual who provides the service. And so there's a matching element to it, Jessica. So I think, you know, you want to find a person who, what's their background? Tell me how long they've been doing the service. You know, for a lot of older people, I'm a little bit more hesitant about having somebody who's just a recent graduate from college. I've got some people who are in their 50s and I've got a 21-year-old with a college degree telling me they're going to do services. And I'm kind of like, you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I got kids your age. And so, and that doesn't mean they're not qualified. They're going to have training. But this is where we talk to our workers about it. It's about matching and it's about building the relationship. You can have somebody who's super seasoned and the family and the seasoned provider does not get along. And so matching is going to impact your outcomes even more than the content shared. It is about relationship. And so I think that's really, really important is to have a good relationship with the person who's providing your service. You're telling them what your availability is. That's a part of the matching process. And so I think being able to say, you know, uh, and, and I've, I've cautioned uh, agency workers and other providers in, in the training that I do about this is 
be careful when you call our families non-compliant because if they told you up front they can't meet on weekends, if they told you up front, I need this type of person because I need a female more than a male or I need a male more than a female worker, and you don't listen and you don't match well, that potentially is going to impact your outcomes. And it's not that the family is being non-compliant. It's that we have a mismatch. What do you do if you are labeled as non-compliant and it's really <laughs> wrongful? Yeah. So most times we don't tell you when we're non-compliant. <laughs> we, what's going to happen. Okay. But what I will say, you're going to know if you're non-compliant. Let's just be really honest. Okay. That means you're not showing okay. up. Okay. You're canceling. And if right. you are canceling and you're not showing okay. up, then you're going to hear from your worker or your care coordinator. And they're going to be like, Miss Pate, what's going on? What's going on that you can't participate in these services? If you don't tell them the truth, you people, you are, you're going to wane off and they're just going to be like, they don't want the services. And so we're just going to back off. And then they cease. And that's not what mm. you want. That's not what you want at all. No, because I can imagine that that interferes with you then getting services yeah. Yeah, again. Yeah, it does. And, and I think that as much as it shouldn't, if you have a history, when people ask you, have you ever had services before? I mean, we can see it in, in the Medicaid system. We can look at claims history. We know what services have been had if we wanted to look that deep. There are families who choose not to say they've had services in the past. And then we find out once we've started, they have. But the reason they are not truthful or upfront about it is they didn't have a good experience and they were fearful that that would impact their ability to receive the service. And I think that's where it's so important to be transparent and honest and, and not be fearful of being honest because our job is to serve. Okay. So, yeah. So the vendor piece is so important and you're asking pretty much the same questions as your agency worker is. The other question that's so important to ask is, when can you start? And so, you know, some people are going to say, oh, I have somebody that can start this week. That's what you want. You've come for services. Let's start. If somebody tells you that you have to wait three, four, five weeks to start, or you can do, now this is important. I can do an intake, but if I don't have somebody ready to come on your case, I'm allowed to do an intake and make you wait for four weeks. I can wait a window of time. So that's really important. It's the same concept if you go from an agency like your DSS says, I've referred you to this private provider. This private provider says, I can do your intake. Your next question is, is fantastic. And then when can services start <laughs> based on that intake? <laughs> and so that's so important because if you have to wait, what, what I truly believe is the longer the problems fester, the harder it is to pull back the harder it is that, to draw that back in and something can happen that then results in somebody needing a higher level of care. And so that's really important. And so you should ask, is there someone else who can provide this service? And then you ask the same questions. What's the reputation? Because I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, we all are regulated. All these services are regulated by your respective state. I'm going to tell you that right now. They're all regulated. And so if you wanted, we have regulators. We all are typically a part of national associations like CARF, which is Commission on the Accreditation 
And then you've got joint commission, you've got numerous places, COA, Council on Accreditation. So like Health Connect America has a COA accreditation. So we not only are licensed in our state, we also have a national accreditation that we choose to be a part of. So that, let me just tell you, as you're asking or you're seeking out providers, if you were to look at three providers and one has a national accreditation like Council on, on Accreditation, uh, COA, versus, and the other two do not, what that says to me is that organization has taken a, a, the next level step because we are held to higher standards than just the state's standards. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so- that should tell you something about that organization. Does that mean the other two aren't good? No. But if it's not a state requirement for them to have the national accreditation, they don't have to. So I would say don't hold it against them, but also take it into consideration. <laughs> and then the last piece, let's talk about funders and what happens with funding, okay? So I'm going to put it all kind of together. So after you've identified, you've done your intake, you've identified the service, you've got buy-in, and now you've selected your provider, it's super important for the funding piece of it. That funding, if I'm a provider and it's a Medicaid or commercial insurance, I'm going to submit the authorization myself. You don't have to do anything, okay, as a, as a parent. If it is a different funding source, sometimes, uh, like in Virginia, we have a separate funding source called the Children's Services Act. That is a team of people who meet, and parents are invited along with the worker who presents their case. So you do have to go in person and present. Your worker takes the lead. You share a little bit about what's going on, but there is that piece, what we call utilization management, and it's just simply making sure that the service matches the need. And that's a funding requirement. So, and then depending on once you get that funding approved, they're going to tell you these are the expectations. So we'll do an authorization for 90 days or 60 days. They all have predetermined authorizations. Medicaid and commercial insurance services are no different. We have an initial request for funding and then we have continued stay. And the continued stay says, hey, this is what's been going on. Family has been really compliant and, and they've been doing all the things they're supposed to. And this is why we believe they would benefit from additional time. Every funder is going to ask for that to happen. It's just what your level of participation is going to be. So don't be surprised if you're asked to go to a meeting and don't be surprised if you're not. Just inquire, what is the obligation of me? What do I need to do to support you? And so that is the quick, quick version of funding and how funding can work when you need additional time. Wow. It is a lot to absorb. And I hope our listeners were taking notes. But the good news is, is you can go back and re-listen this until it sticks. But it's so important and so valuable, Natalie. Thank you so, so much. Well, and Jessica, I would still say, and, and again, I did it on the last on the last episode. If you have questions, please, please, please email me. It's totally fine. Okay. And I am happy to answer questions. Oh, thank you. Um, and to be a resource. But honestly, as you go through this process, you're already in a state of overwhelm. And so just know that yes. your agency workers or your care coordinator with your insurance company, we're all here to serve. And so we really do want to help and we can describe the process and what to expect. 
Great. Thank you so much, Natalie. So good to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Love the work that you're doing. And I so appreciate you and your sisters and your podcast and everything (laughs) that you've got your hands in. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. Do us a favor and leave us a review and a rating so that this podcast can get into the ears and the hearts of more and more moms. Did you know that Brave Together podcast is an extension of our nonprofit organization called We Are Brave Together? We Are Brave Together serves an international community of caregiving moms by offering support groups that are virtual and in-person, educational resources, and low-cost weekend retreats. To join us today, go to wearebravetogether.org. Our support and sisterhood await you. Brave Together podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only and is not a substitute and should not be relied on for medical or mental health advice. The use of any content on our podcast linked in our show notes or on our website is to be done at your own personal risk. Please seek out a professional to assess your own medical or mental health concerns because we are all beautifully complex and the content of this podcast is for a broad audience.